0: thing about doing a radio program is that when you as you come upon um, news stories of interest you sometimes find a local angle and someone who's involved in it and that allows us to sit them right down in front of the microphone and talk about some breaking news in this case the fires down in san diego were all over the front pages a few months back it turns out that the witch fire in san diego has now been described as the second largest u.s disaster that took place in 2007 and it so happens we have an eyewitness that took part In the fighting of that fire, that would be Cal Fire Captain Brent Stanglin, who also happens to be my neighbor. So welcome to Radio Parallax, Brent. Thank you. Now, a lot of people see in the news that firefighters are being sent all over the state of California when the need arises. And, of course, there was a huge need down in Southern California. How do they enlist you guys up here in Northern California to go down there? How does that work? It goes to the Office of
1: Emergency Services, OES. Uh, Order comes in and uh, basically we mobilize as many uh, pieces of apparatus as we can to get down to the area of need in a timely
0: fashion. And, and what, what kind of things do you need?
1: it starts with engines um hand tools uh, so you got drive fire engines down there absolutely okay. um aircraft uh, helicopters it's basically like a, a big mobilization that would be familiar to maybe the military we mobilized uh, i don't have the numbers in my head but it was a huge amount of personnel and equipment so we mobilized as much as we can uh, in a short amount of time give you some perspective uh, in about 48 hours we had um, just about every fire staffed uh, that was down in, in the Southern California region in October. And um, in 2003, when the last time we had our big major fire siege down there, it, it took us uh, greater than 72 hours to get all that mobilized and down that area. So we learned from, uh, from past experiences to, to get everything down there in a timely fashion as we can.
0: Well, unfortunately, you're getting a lot of practice in, in recent years.
1: Yes, it's very dry. <laughs> it's like a tinderbox down there.
0: Well I think what this year that Southern California got like what the all-time record low rainfall LA got like two inches or yeah. something.
1: Yeah, I think it was just over two inches.
0: And of course, usually gets a little bit less so it must have been like the Mojave Correct. Desert so.
1: Yes, like I said it's like a tinderbox. Uh, you get the right conditions with the weather, high winds, uh, clack a, a power line together or somebody that wants to, to light a fire and it's off to the races.
0: Now, now in this case uh, you and I were talking some weeks back about you know what happened when you were down there and it, it sounds it sounds incredibly dramatic, as in terms of like when a fire gets going and the wind kicks in. Can you tell us a little bit about what you experienced firsthand there?
1: Yeah, it's uh, the Santa Ana winds. They come up a- across the four corners of uh, the states of um, Nevada, uh, Utah, and out in that region, it comes blowing across the desert and drops down into Southern California. Um, when that air comes out of the the, the high desert area in a north wind uh, fashion, it compresses and gains speed as it goes across the the surface of the ground. Um, When it does that, uh, it it becomes completely dry. It is a dry wind to start with. It's a completely dry wind. That kind of pre dries everything along when you already have dry conditions, things are going to light up just uh, like you're taking a match to, to paper in your fireplace.
0: Or like when you blow on your fireplace and all of a sudden it flares up, you're just seeing that across acreage.
1: Absolutely. And um, shoot, when you get a wind like that and it gets compressed through canyons, it's, it's it's flanking maneuvers. It's not a whole lot that we can do to get in front of it. Our aircraft can't fly in the 80-mile-an-hour winds, which is what we were experiencing down there with gusts of over 100. had a buddy of mine opened his door in the wrong angle, and it folded his door back on his brand-new Chevy pickup um, up against the front fender. So that's an idea of the of the wind.
0: Well we had a we had a storm here the storm of the decade here in Sacramento a couple of weeks back but the gusts I think we're still ta- we're talking like 50 or 60 you're talking 60. about another 40 50 on top of that
1: yeah out in the Julian Valley where I was on the witch incident uh, talking to, to farmers that have been there their whole lives uh, 50, 60 70 years uh, we are saying that 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 was the strongest winds they've ever heard there can't really ride a motorcycle down uh, down a road in wind like that it'll blow you right off
0: so you're looking out over the landscape, you got your fire equipment, this wind kicks in, doesn't it just, does it just generate a wall of fire? I mean, what, what's it look like?
1: Yeah, it's uh, oh, how high?
0: It's upwards of over 100 feet. Um, 100 feet of flame.
1: Depending on the brush, you could have a 20-foot stand or 15-foot stand of brush. That brush will carry flames. It's just like you explained. If, if it's in the fireplace and you blow on it, it, it creates an intense environment. It, was blowing through avocado orchards that were green. Uh, patches of people's lawns that were green were completely singed and burnt. Uh, devastation was just unreal. It was, I, I wanna say it was close to a, a fourth of uh, San Diego County um, ended up getting burned this year. Uh, total devastation,
0: it was just amazing. Well, thank God I've never seen one of these catastrophes. But say you got like a thousand-foot slope, big wind—it's—it's it's going, you know, into the trees. What, what time frame are we talking about to burn its way up to the top?
1: Well, you have to understand how how it works. Um, the hot, dry winds coming out of the north will preheat uh, an area. We call it like a chimney or a draw, um, mm-hmm. which would be like a valley up upslope. Uh, say on a 30 degree slope, um, it's gonna preheat that that vegetation to when the flame front hits there, it's like air ignition. It'll ignite the entire hillside basically in an instance.
0: So like it's just like a whole hillside of kindling that just goes up at once. It just goes up at
1: once. 10 it's, seconds? Uh, 10 seconds.
0: Jeez. Well, if you're facing this and you're, you're downwind of some of this,
1: You need to get back to what we call flanking, which you you attack the fire on one of the two flanks, right or left flank, and uh, try to slow the progression down as much as we can. But when we can't fly our aircraft out in front of a fire to put uh, retardant drops, uh, or to build, uh, we get our dozers out in front of a flame front to maybe build a buffer till we take the the vegetation down to just bare mineral soil. It poses a a serious problem for us to be able to, to extinguish a fire, basically. We have to do what's in the best interest of the public to to get them evacuated and to uh just take those
0: flanking maneuvers until we get a break what what rates are we talking about you got a high wind like this 60 miles an hour it must is it blowing the flame at virtually the same speed because i know it must must be coming at you pretty scary fast
1: it's coming at you scary fast and i don't know the exact numbers i wouldn't say it would be exactly 60 miles an hour because it does take time to consume that vegetation Uh, all we can do is try to steer Steer the fire. I mean, at this that is point. You
0: couldn't couldn't run if you were if you were on Ab-
1: foot. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. A story of uh, some fellow Cal Fire personnel that were working down in the area. It wasn't on the Witch incident. It was on another fire that was set down there. Ended up being an arson fire. They were trying to get out to notify uh, individual he and his son that they needed to to evacuate. They tried to get out, get them into their um, fire truck, and they were overtaken by flames. So that's the magnitude of of how fast these things move experienced captain this guy had 20 plus years in him, his career and uh basically got caught
0: and how, and how many fatalities were there in this this whole his season?
1: uh he actually ended up perishing and um his son had uh i want to say 60 percent of his body was third degree burns and oh we uh as an agency uh three of the personnel there ended up in a burn center
0: well i mean it sounds like in the grand scheme of things this really was kind of you know in a way comparable to katrina in the scope of the disaster
1: it absolutely was and it was compared to that
0: First of all, what, do you, what is it you're trying to do when you're on this flanking maneuver? What, what, what are you actually physically trying to do to curtail the fire?
1: We're buying time. Um, With how? Trying to put the fire out as best we can. Hoping that when the winds die down, we'll be able to uh, get out in front of it. So and you're and putting put it water out. on it and fire Correct. Retirement. If okay. we don't take care of the flanks, it's just going to spread out laterally, uh, right to left. And we want to be able to uh, to buy ourselves some time and to get those those uh, flanks put in.
0: All right, when well, you should talk about flanking, it's like it is like a military operation. Absolutely. You guys are out there on the front lines, and you're just what sleeping in the truck. I mean, what I mean, how, what kind of shifts you're working?
1: Uh, well, first getting mobilized down there. Of course, not everybody's down there that can come and help. We had people from Montana, Washington, Oregon, mm-hmm. all over the United mm-hmm. S- the northern United States coming out and helping us. So before those resources come to uh, to relieve us on the fire line we're it. We're stuck out there. And the more fires that happen, the longer we're going to be out there. And, and we can't go home until, or get some rest really until those, those folks come in. Upwards of 52 hours. Uh, 52 people hour were, were staying wow. up, catching 20, 30 minutes in between uh, just to
0: get a little bit of rest. I guess on behalf of the public, we I just say, you know, thanks for what you guys are doing down there.
1: Well, thank you. It's, it's a fun job. At times it's very taxing and uh, you know we do our best.
0: Well, I guess final question B, say somebody from California here is finding themselves out in a situation where there is a fire and not too far away. What should you do?
1: The first thing you should do is, is call 911, uh, notify the emergency uh, system. We'll set up uh, whether it need to be evacuations. We'll assess that. We'll get in there as soon as we can. This is what we do. This is our job. We're trained up on it. Um, and uh, the best thing is to, is to make sure that uh, you are in a safe place with you and your loved ones.
0: California Fire Captain Brent Stanglin, thank you for speaking with us, and hopefully you will not have any updates in the near future, but we would like to maybe talk again as the fire season nears.
1: That sounds good. Thank you very much, Doug.
0: All right, let's talk about a few other hazards that are out there. turns out that certain types of carbon nanotubes, which are microscopic graphite cylinders, which are used in a small but ever-growing number of space-age applications, it turns out could pose a similar cancer risk as asbestos, if inhaled. A recent study published in the journal Nature Nanotechnology showed that mice injected with nanotubules quickly developed the same biological damage associated with early exposure to asbestos fibers, which of course is a known carcinogen. The study showed, quote, the potential to cause harm if these things get into the air and into the lungs, unquote. Since carbon nanotubules were discovered in the early 1990s, they've been billed as wonder particles for their incredible strength, low weight, and ability to conduct heat and electricity. Some folks think that someday the space elevator, which will allow us to uh, basically drive a, uh, a train up into space, as crazy as that sounds, will require carbon nanotubules to make it work. Well, this issue seems to be most related to the manufacturing process, If something can shed carbon nanotubules and get into your lung and cause cancer. Well, that's going to be a problem. Uh, Also, article of some concern from the Technology Department, uh, the April 26th issue of New Scientist magazine, uh, talked about how advertisers are homing in on your mouse clicks. Another article by Jim Giles, whom we quoted before, noted that uh, if online ads seem like they're tailored to you personally... That might be because they are. Article notes that the magazines you read, the cars you'd like to own, your travel plans, your favorite bands, your sporting allegiances, can all be gleaned from a log of the websites we visit. Until recently, the only people with access to these logs were you and your internet service provider. ISPs simply pipe internet into your home. They've woken up to the value of the information and started selling it to advertisers who then use it to individually tailor their ads, often without customers' knowledge. article recommends that you ask your ISP if they sell browsing data to advertising firms, and if they do, uh, they should allow you to opt out of the scheme. If they don't, suggest you find a new provider. There's evidently also some software available uh, for you. It's called Download Tor, which is found at www.torproject.com. It's free software, and it prevents ISPs from determining which sites you are visiting. All right, and speaking of information technology, we've been wanting to comment on the May 11th article in the Sacramento Bees Forum section by Sue Wilson, described as former reporter and host for Capital Public Radio. She's an Emmy award-winning television and radio journalist based in Sacramento, and her article, 264 to 0. Hey, wait, that's unfair explains how federal rules give corporation-backed conservative radio all the local voices. That uh, that number in the title comes from the fact that in the political realm, three local radio stations program 264 hours of partisan Republican radio talkers beating up on Democrats every week. At this point, zero radio stations program any Democratic view whatsoever. The article points out that this follows a national trend revealed in the 2007 Free Press- and Center for American Progress study titled The Structural Imbalances of Political Talk Radio noted that nationally 90% of commercial talk radio is conservative. Only 10% is liberal. The study did not include public radio, which by statute is required to provide differing points of view. The article went on to talk about uh, a couple of radio stations, KSAC, which has now uh, changed its name and format, versus KFBK. The article noted that uh, the problem with uh, KSAC wasn't that it didn't have listeners, it was that it didn't have advertisers. Uh, based on my first-hand experience with our, uh, our effort to move over to KSAC last summer, uh, I would say that the real problem was they don't have competent management, and that's all I'm going to say there, except to note that competent management would have had the advertisers. But it's an excellent article by Sue Wilson, and we would refer you to it. The article recommends that it is time to bring back the Fairness Doctrine. Wilson noted that as a producer who actually worked under the Fairness Doctrine, I personally don't see what's wrong with proving to the community that I at least attempt to provide both sides of the story. The Bee got a lot of feedback to that article. In fact, uh, they had a whole page donated to, uh, to uh, the feedback. Wrote Pari Assem in Granite Bay, I look forward to the day when the FCC will be forced to roll back media ownership rules to the pre 1996 rules and a new fairness doctrine is enacted. Since the airwaves belong to all the people, not just the conservative people of Sacramento or America, we, the moderates and liberals, expect our leadership to ensure that our voices are heard as well. Let's be honest there's nothing fair or good when voices are silenced. Frank Hopkins from Roseville wrote, For a quarter century, I worked for Republicans in the California legislature, disseminating their sound bites to radio stations up and down the state. The Democrats had a similar operation, and we had a friendly rivalry. But I became increasingly disquieted as I watched Sacramento's blowtorch radio powerhouse, KFBK, abandon any pretense of political balance and tilt further and further rightward into the neoconservative Republican camp. Unlike newspapers, radio stations use public airwaves and therefore have a moral responsibility for balancing their programming to serve the entire political community. Not so with KFBK. Personally, I gave up on KFBK years ago, and with the help of several long-distance radios, I now listen to KCBS in San Francisco and wrote roger smith from loomis the article on talk radio raises an important question should a radio station licensed to use publicly owned airwaves be a political pulpit preaching only one ideology through their programming lineup the obvious answer is no well we do what we can here on this program to prevent some uh, views contrary to what uh, is disseminated on kfbk and that sort of radio station we need to make an effort to get sue wilson on this program i think Uh, that documentary, Broadcast Blues, uh, sounds like a very worthy effort. So we're going to see if we can't talk a bit about that on this show. Just want to close with fun, one final letter that was in the forum section. It was by Lindy Tillement from Rio Linda, who said, I was pleased that someone has finally had the courage to call attention to the disparity between right-wing and left-leaning talk radio and the reasons for this disparity. I left this country in 1985, and when I returned in 1998 and turned on the radio, I was shocked. It sounded like I was in a fascist country. I couldn't believe the vicious hate talk. The Fairness Doctrine kept this country balanced for a long time and differentiated us from the countries ruled by dictators. The leaders of these countries use radio to spread their regime's propaganda and influence the citizens. We need to be very careful not to follow down that path. Let's uh, take a short break and come back and talk about a pressing problem around the world, that of how to deal with refugee populations. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.